you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Bite Clear Liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Bite.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Bite. Hey, everybody, this is Eddie Trunk, and you're listening to Talking Metal. Striegel, John Astronomy, the Talking Metal Podcast, coming to you from the Silver Spacecraft. I'm Bud Friendly, and now your hosts, Mark and John. Hey, it's John Astronomy. Welcome to another edition of Talking Metal. I'm here with Mark Striegel. Yo, how are you, John? I'm doing great, and I'm really excited to hear the interview you did with one of our good friends, Eddie Trunk. Yeah, Eddie has a lot to say, as, as always. What, what a great guy, and I really appreciate him coming back on Talking Metal. It's been a number of years, like maybe like five or six years since he's wow. been on the show. So it was great to talk to him. I know you deal a lot with him in, in some of the other aspects of your life, but we haven't, we haven't had him on the show for a long time. So it was great to reconnect with him. He sets straight a few things. He sets straight Ronnie James Dio and Wendy Dio's relationship. There's been a lot of questions about that since Ronnie's passing. Eddie comes, comes through and explains to me exactly what the situation is and was with them. He talks about the strange that metal show Paul Stanley Twittergate <laughs> episode that went on uh, about a, a week ago, actually. So if you don't know that, Paul Stanley m- mysteriously tweeted that metal show from his phone. We know Paul, for whatever reason, doesn't seem to like Eddie Trunk. Eddie's gone into that story on numerous other shows, in, including Three Sides of the Coin. There's a there's a good interview with Eddie from a while back where he lays all that out. And what else do we talk about? We, uh, we talk about, of course, Richie Scarlett rejoining Ace's band and all sorts of great stuff. Jimmy Page and... You name it, we, we mention it, and all things Eddie Trunk, of course. So let's get right into this interview, and guys, real quick, episode 500 is coming soon, Talking Metal episode 500, and we are giving you extra content so we can get to 500 extra fast. So it's <laughs> not just going to be a weekly thing for the next two weeks here. We're going to be throwing up a bunch of shows you know, every other day, every three days, look for a new episode of Talking Metal. What and episode are we on right now, Mark? I'm not this, even sure. This, I believe, is... Wow, you're going to put me on the spot. This, I think, is 494. Wow. 
Uh, but maybe I should actually pull up the website and check that. <laughs> I could do it, too. Yeah. John, when's the you first time you met Eddie that. Trunk? When's the first time you met Eddie the Trunk? The first time I met Eddie Trunk was at a taping of MTV's Rocks Off. And that was a show that was produced by our good friend Rick Ernst. And it featured interviews with rock stars and rock fans and rock industry people. And I actually was on Rocks Off a few times, probably like four times or five times. And the first time I was just inside the MTV studio and Eddie was one of the guests. And I believe that was the first time I met him. And then through the years, um, I've actually even worked with Eddie. Uh, there was an ace birthday celebration for Eddie at Don Hills. And I was Eddie's merch salesman. So that was a very cool thing. Right, right. And, uh, and then, you know, throughout all the different things I've done with Ace, uh, I've worked with Eddie uh, on various things, including setting up interviews, and I've been in the studio with him uh, a couple times. I've actually technically been on um, uh, one of his shows that we've done from the, the Sirius studio. Yeah, the yeah so that was very cool. Yeah, cool. All right, well, here is the new king of, of podcasting. He is now the number one most listened to hard rock and heavy metal podcast. We are now number two. <laughs> We're number two, a position that, that we held I, I, for not consistently, but for the most part, for nine years straight. You know, sometimes one-on-one -on -one with Mitch LaFon would, would beat us, a show that John and I sometimes uh, co-host and that I, I produce with Mitch. I produce every episode of that show with Mitch. Uh, part of the talking about edit, digital edit, network. Yeah, part of our network. So I actually don't mind when, when Mitch would occasionally beat us. Sometimes Metal Sucks beat us, beats us. Sometimes Metal Injection. The majority of that nine years, we were at number one. If somebody's telling you differently on, on their show or their blog or whatever, they're freaking lying to you. So <laughs> hey, and, and people do, because I've, I've been questioned on that, that uh, fact. Yeah, wow. Hey, really funny is... Uh, when you were talking about you don't mind if one-on-one -on -one with Mitch LaFon, part of the Talking Metal Digital Network, uh, Beach Talking Metal, uh, there's a quote in Metalocalypse where the producer uh, tells Murderface, he goes, well, that's a good problem to have because Murderface wasn't sure if Planet Piss might do better than Death Clock. So he's like, that's a good problem to have. So yeah. if one of our Talking Metal Digital podcasts beats us for a day, that's a good problem to have. Absolutely. And having said that, again, when you go to iTunes in the podcasting section and you sort the podcast by music, Eddie Trunk is now the number one hard rock and heavy metal podcast. And congratulations to him. Let's get right into this interview with Eddie Trunk and hear about what Eddie has going on. And again, Paul Stanley, Twittergate. Hey guys, it's Mark from Talking Metal, and for the past nine years, we used to refer to ourselves as the number one hard rock and heavy metal podcast on iTunes, but I think we have a new king now, and his name is Eddie Trunk. How are you, Eddie? Hey, Mark. How are you, man? I, I didn't know that, but uh, thanks, man. I appreciate that. I, uh, I had no idea what was going to happen when I started doing a podcast, so it's great that it's been so well-received, and Congrats to the long-running success of yours as well. Oh, well, thanks. Yeah, I'm always checking the uh, the iTunes charts and whatnot. And, uh, yeah, it seems like your show's doing great. Yeah, you know, I, I didn't... I had a lot of requests for a long time to do a podcast, and I, I kind of resisted 
simply because, uh, you know, I do two radio shows a week, and I was like, well, what am I going to do on a podcast that I'm not already doing that wouldn't be redundant on my radio shows? But yeah, after I thought about it and learned more about it, because honestly, before I started doing one, I didn't really know much about them and hadn't really listened to too many of them. Uh, but once I learned more about them and the fact that they were always kind of available and on demand and worldwide and all that, and so many people in my audience asked me to do one, I said, well, I'll give it a year and give it a shot and see what happens. And then when this company came to me and offered me the opportunity that they could market it and work with it, um, it all sort of kind of made sense. So the response has been great so far, and we'll, we'll see where it goes. Perfect. And you've had some great guests so far. I really enjoyed the, the Michael Anthony interview. Always great to hear his, his side of things. Yeah, that's my number one. Uh, I just got some stats, and that's my number one biggest one. And it's funny because I think that uh, people kind of started to hear about some of the things we talked about and that, and it led others to find it because it came out of the gate okay, but actually since it's been up for a few weeks, it's actually more than doubled the amount of people who have listened to it. So, so far that and my my, my uh, podcast with Brian May has been the biggest ones. And I think, you know, the thing with Brian May and Queen is just such a huge global band, probably even more so than in America, that that's just uh, that was a real score to be able to get him. Yeah, so guys, listeners out there, make sure you stay subscribed to Talking Metal, but definitely subscribe to Eddie's podcast, too. He's on iTunes. He's on all the, the regular podcast outlets. And, of course, you have the, the two radio shows going. I listen to you here in the New York area on FM, uh, Q104, which has been going on for a, a long time now, right? That show's history dates back 31 years uh, at this wow. point. I started that show in 83. And it's gone through, uh, obviously, a lot of different evolutions. It's had different names. It's been anchored from different stations. But uh, its history and what it is actually goes back for 31 years. And 25th anniversary of that show was celebrated with uh, Judas Priest did a show for me in, in New York. And for the 30th last year, I had an all-star thing, and Ace and Peter reunited for it. Right. So there's been some amazing stuff that's happened, and... And that radio show, which is now syndicated in about 25 cities, is without question, I mean, the anchor for everything for me. It's where it all started. It's, um, it, it's led to so many other things. Uh, so many elements in that show came from, from that metal, is kind of how that metal show came about and, and can be traced directly towards that. So that show has been real good to me, and I still love continuing to do it. Um, had a little change with it recently in that for, for decades that show originated live. And just recently I had to kind of change that so that um, what was happening is that, uh, and some listeners in the, this is only for people who do listen to it in, in New York off Q104, as you mentioned, right. that would have noticed, noticed this because everybody else always got it pre-recorded. But I had to make a change because what's happened is that Every radio station in the world now streams, and they push people to their stream and to listen on their streams, which is nice. But what was happening with my show is that it was uh, it was going to my affiliates. It was it was happening live in New York, and then going to all my affiliates the next weekend, pre-recorded, and they were starting to get a little pissed off because they were like, "Well, that's really nice, but everybody can tap into the stream when it's live on Q104." And nobody wants to hear the show here seven, eight days old. They've already wow. heard it because they figured out they can just listen to the app. 
So as a result, you know, it was kind of, you know, I was kind of told, listen, you know, you have to kind of make that thing available to everybody the same weekend. And uh, as a result, that show has become, you know, more uniform and more of a, uh, you know, a weekend music-intensive show. And then my satellite show is is now the live show, which is a lot more talk-based. So it's kind of um, the best of both worlds. It just, you know, with evolution and technology, you have to kind of change and evolve to adapt to that stuff. Yeah, it's interesting because I, when I'm on vacation and stuff, I would tune into you on the uh, with the Q104 um, app, which I guess is iHeartRadio. Yeah, yeah, very, very interesting. And yeah, it's it's made it so it's great because it's made it so available. I mean, I've been in LA. And and punt put in you know it it starts at eight o'clock West Coast time and I've just been driving down the road and plugged in my phone into my uh, rental car and listened to my own show driving around in L.A. off Q104 and it's it's great but that just hurt me as far as with other you know growing that show with affiliates because if they can't run it the same weekend as everybody else it kind of lose lost some of its luster for them so as a result. It, it had to kind of be turned into a, uh, a pre-recorded show. It was a really hard decision to make, and I've never really talked about much about it. It just was something that kind of had to happen. But you know, having done that show live for almost 30 years, for more than 30 years, it was a tough decision. But, um, you know, I'll still do it live from New York from time to time when, when there's something special or, or my schedule permits. But between being away and on the road so much and then obviously, you know, my station in Boston, which is, you know, another big market, you know, just said, listen, we need to get this the same time that New York is running it or it doesn't work for us. So yeah. it was time, and uh, it's just something that kind of had to happen. But for people who like uh, who like that show when it was more music-intensive, they'll, they'll certainly like it now because even though there's some interviews in it, I'm pushing those interviews more to my podcast and keeping that show a little bit more uh, based in, in, in music. Makes sense. And then there's the Monday night show, which a lot of us listen to, on our drive home from work on Sirius, which is, you know, great because you get to take the phone calls and, and there's a lot of talking and uh, that also kind of might fill the void for some people who are missing that type of interaction on the FM show. Yeah, that's gone and that's then that's gone the complete other way where that show is actually up to 50%, if not more, talk and calls an interview by design because I really love doing that stuff. And the fun thing about doing it on... Sirius XM, being that it's live across the country, is you get such a cool pulse of what people are thinking, seeing, hearing, talking about, you know, in the small, small cities, and then obviously right right in the big cities as well. So that's been a lot of fun, and it, it blows me away how many people tell me that they, even artists tell me that, you know, during those four hours a week, they, they make sure that they listen because they want to hear who I'm going to have on or who's going to say what, and that's that's to me what you know what's really cool about doing radio. I really enjoy that. So it's a uh, it's a cool balance right now. I mean, like anything, I'm always looking for more opportunities and looking right. to grow and make them better. But to have what I have, you know, I'm I'm, I'm very grateful. Cool. And I want to talk to you about some of the the current metal metal news that's going on. But first, let's talk about that metal show. It, it's uh, it's no secret there was major shakeups at, at VH1. A lot of people left. A lot of people quit. Where where a lot of shows that were actually doing quite well were were cut. Where does that metal show stand right now with VH1? Well, the most important thing that people have to realize with with the show is that we are not on VH1. We are on VH1 Classic, and the reason why I bring that up is because 
that is there is an enormous difference between the two channels. Um, right. Not only from a programming standpoint, you know, VH1 being rooted in reality shows and things like that, but from a budgetary standpoint, I mean, VH1 is a, a much more major network that has tons more funding, whereas VH1 Classic, which I've now been a part of for 12 years, right. uh, is, is a baby channel still, quite frankly, and it's got very limited funding. Uh, the good news is we are the big fish in the very small pond, um, and even though the channel is owned by VH1, Classic, VH1 Classic, like I said, has very, very limited resources still as far as budgets and what they can and can't do. But we've been able to, over the last five, six years, to carve out this incredible following, and the show has done so well that it's pretty much the only show that they produce in-house and really, you know, one of the real... Many say the only reason people really come to the channel. So as a result, they keep doing the show. The problem is we don't do it nearly as frequently as any of us would like. Um, they repeat the hell out of them, which is also good because it keeps us on there. Um, and it gives the illusion that we're, we've done a lot more episodes than we have. But okay. uh, we, we're probably... Um, we're probably, you know, we've only done 12 episodes this entire year of 2014, and that's all we're going to do in this entire year, 12 new ones. Um, but the good news is that I just talked to the network yesterday, and we are definitely doing more, and it's going to happen in February, um, and they will air starting in February, and we'll do at least 12 new episodes in a row, and we'll do them in the same way that we did the, the ones earlier this year, which is a, a new show every week that's shot on a Tuesday and premieres on a Saturday, so it'll be very current. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll continue, it looks like, doing them in New York. We started in New York, we moved it to L.A. for a while, and then uh, we returned to New York last season. It looks like we're going to be in New York again. So um, it continues on. We're, we're officially picked up to do more. It's just that, unfortunately... Um, I say this all the time, anything that people who are fans of the show ask for and want to see and want to see happen are the same exact things I want. Um, it's just that I don't make the calls. Right on. Right on. I wanted to talk to you about a guitar player, but let's first let's talk about Jakey Lee. You got you got, a, got him out of, of wherever he was hiding, and he delivered a, just a great record this year, Red Dragon Cartel. He is back in the public eye, and a lot of people point to you as doing, as helping him get back in the public eye. There's another guitar player who, who a lot of us would like to hear from in, in some way or another, Vinnie Vincent. And it was rumored that, that you were trying to get him out of hiding, get him to do an interview. I think you even mentioned it a couple times on your show. How, what happened with that? Uh, unfortunately, nothing. It's just been nothing but dead ends. Um, you know, a lot of fans had asked me about it, and there's a couple of these guys that I get constantly asked about. Jake was one for a long time, and I was successful, as you said, in tracking him down and actually helping him out. Um, as far as Vinny is concerned, um, I tried. I really tried hardest around the time of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because I thought it would be interesting to have gotten his take on all that. Um, but uh, the closest I, I came to connecting with him was I got in touch with his attorney, who was in Nashville, I believe, and he just got back to me and he said, you know, we're talking about it, we're thinking about it, Vinny's thinking about it, he's, he, you know, he's very leery about talking to anybody. However, 
he said that if he was going to do this, he would do it with you. I said, well, that's really nice, and my door is open, and whatever form it would take, whether it be a radio or print or podcast or what have you, I'm, I'm up for it, and let's do it. So that's where it was left, but there was never any more traction from that and never really any more follow-up. So he's obviously a real reclusive guy. I think there's a lot of, obviously, rumors out there about him and some stuff true and not true, and I don't know him all that well. You know, back in the old Kiss days, I got to know him, and when he was doing the invasion, I got to know him. And we've, you know, had him on my shows a couple times. And, but, you know, it's already 25, 30 years ago, so I don't know how much recollection he has of all that. But, uh, you know, I was told that if he does something and decides he wants to talk, he would do it with me. But I, I don't, I don't have any, anything concrete at all, unfortunately, on that. Okay. Well, we'll keep our fingers crossed. We'd love to hear from him. Speaking of Kiss, there was a kind of a bizarre incident last week where, Paul Stanley tweeted had a tweet that went out that said that metal show, and then a few minutes later sent out another tweet saying that's what happens when you leave your phone at a party unattended or something. Uh, this whole thing was just kind of strange to me. I'm, I'm I'll go on record as saying I'm a big Paul and Gene fan and continue to support what they do, but I, I do know that it it does seem that Paul has issue with you, and you've gone into this in detail on your show and on other shows. Uh, what do you make of this whole thing with him tweeting out that metal show? I don't know. It's uh, it's just another layer in, unfortunately, some really bizarre behavior when it comes to me and my history with him and my shows. Um, uh, you know, I, I make no I make no secret about how I feel about what Kiss does today. Uh, it doesn't mean that I don't respect Kiss. It doesn't mean that I don't. I begrudge people that go to see him or have a different feeling than I do. I can only give my honest opinion on it, and I respect others. Um, but I, I just, you know, I, I, I don't understand a lot of things about what Paul does and doesn't do. Um, I think he gets all really a lot of bad, very skewed, tainted information from you know, certain fans out there. I think he reads way too much into and believes way too much into stuff that he reads on internet and social media and. As opposed to just sitting down and talking to me about it and, and clearing the air, he just is kind of reclusive and formulates these sort of strange opinions. And as far as, as that tweet is concerned, it's as bizarre as it gets because obviously I had absolutely nothing to do with it. <laughs> and, and I'm, you know, when it happened, my phone blew up and people assumed that him doing that, listen, say what you want, but Kiss is a band that, uh, is incredibly important to me and was was huge huge for me and so many others and they are one of the top people requested to be on that metal show it's the show their fans watch uh we probably have more kiss shirts in our audience than just about any other band on any given day so you know my show does just fine with or without him coming on it of course our door has always been open to him but the, the the distinction here is it's what his fans want him to see him on. They don't want to see him on CNN. They don't you know they want to see him on a rock show talking about rock and right. his history with people that really know the band, whether they like what the band is doing now or not. Let's just have a discussion about it. But uh, he just has some sort of you know hang up about it, and he you know he took a little swipe at the show a month ago or so when he was doing book press when again a fan asked him why he doesn't come on 
Um, it's really important to distinguish that, by the way. Our door is open to him, but it's not something I obsess on. People think that I do sometimes, but, I mean, look at the history. Uh, the, there was, it was a fan that asked him at a signing. Uh, Rolling Stone asked him in an in, in interview, or asked Gene in an interview after the Hall of Fame came up. It's not us out there asking. It's just so b- weird to people that they can't understand what the issue is that they bring it up and ask him. So, you know, the latest bit of weirdness, like you said, is that this tweet goes out, out of nowhere on his verified account, and people immediately thought that I had had some conversation with him, and that meant that he was coming on the show. And there's no dialogue whatsoever to that end. And how and why that happened and why he did that is anyone's guess. You'd have to ask him. But it's a little bit strange, the follow-up response to say, <laughs> I left my phone somewhere at a party. I mean, think about what has to happen there, Mark. You're Paul yeah. Stanley. You have a phone. It doesn't lock out if you did put it down at a party. I mean, I don't go to parties and never leave my phone sitting anywhere. But imagine that. Imagine you're Paul Stanley, your phone, it doesn't lock out like 95% of people's do when you put it down. And somebody picks it up. They realize it's Paul. Not only is the phone not locked out, but his Twitter account is open. And the first thing they do is run into his Twitter account and write at that metal show. I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't even, I mean, I I would love, just, just love to know what really happened in the backstory there, because it's got to be one for the ages. Why, Why didn't he delete it, too? Like, after... After it went out, you'd think, you know, delete it, and then if you still want to send a, a rebuttal, or not a rebuttal, but, you know, kind of say, hey, that was the, that last tweet, it was a mistake, but it's it's there still for everyone to see. So definitely a Maybe bizarre. he doesn't know how to, re, how to, I'm not saying this like a jerk, I'm, I'm being honest, maybe he doesn't know you can delete tweets, because I didn't for a while myself, I didn't realize, I don't know in all the ins and outs of all the social media, but I, I was really surprised when he went on Twitter um, before his account was verified, I didn't even think it was really him, because I, uh, he's a sensitive guy by his own admission. And anybody knows if you go into social media, you've got to have a pretty, have a pretty thick skin. Definitely. And I was really shocked that he went in that world. And when he, the Hall of Fame stuff happened, and the way he was responding to people, which was really kind of very petty and kind of like almost yelling at him. I was just like, man, this is not serving him well. You know, there's, I mean, Gene actually checked off of it recently because I think he had gotten tired of some of the BS. But if you're not willing to roll with that, it, it right. can be a rough world. And I was really surprised when he got into it. Um, but that being said, I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't know the real story behind all that. Obviously, it's his account, and uh, he, he would have to answer for that. And the answer he gave, all I know, all I know is the reason and the answer he gave for it in the follow-up tweet is actually more bizarre than anything, because I don't know how you hijack somebody's phone at a party, and the first thing you run over and do is tweet the name of my TV show. It's bizarre beyond belief. Yeah. Interesting stuff, and I'm sure we could talk about Kiss all day, but I want to hit a few other topics. Yeah, but real quick, just yeah. for the record, for fans out there, no, again, for the record, and I can't be more, I have to say this every time, because people just don't hear what they want to hear. Our, our door is and always has been open to him if and when he ever wants to come on the show. Right. We don't dwell on it. We don't obsess on it. We have, t- thankfully, tons of guests that do want to come on, but our door is open to him for an intelligent and hopefully fun, in-depth conversation about all eras of the band. But again, we can't, um, you know, you can't get water from a stone, 
and and you know if that day ever comes, the doors open to him to come on, and then he can tweet about it all he wants. Yeah. Well, very good. Very good. I wanted to ask you about Wendy Dio, who seems you you know her and and you've dealt with her. You were a good friend with with Ronnie and and spoke at his funeral. I, I, I you know since Ronnie's passing, and we all miss and and just loved Ronnie so much. There's been numerous stories that have come out about Wendy Dio that have kind of caused some of the the fan base to hold her in a different light. Uh, there was a story Stephen Piercy wrote in his book about her there. She got married to apparently a long, a long-time boyfriend, somebody who she's been together with for decades. Not that long after Ronnie died, there have been products and tweets and stuff that have gone out over the official uh, Ronnie James Dio Twitter account that have left us scratching our heads, like telling us who to vote for in certain elections and stuff like that. What, what is your opinion on how Wendy has been handling? the the estate of Ronnie since his passing and what's just your general opinion on her well i don't i think what a lot of people don't realize as far as the the history of of her relationships i i don't think a lot of people realize that although she still used his last name and identifies to this day as Wendy Dio they weren't together as a couple for decades um they had separated decades ago and that was pretty much common knowledge um, she was in uh, the relationship with the person she ended up marrying him for for a long time while Ronnie was still alive. There was no secret there whatsoever. Her and Ronnie ceased being, you know, a, a couple in that regard for a long time ago. Um, so that, there's no secret there. There's no scandal there. Uh, the difference is, though, that what was interesting about their relationship was that even though that ended, they still loved each other. And Ronnie still trusted her and retained her as his manager. Um, so it was a pretty unique situation in that uh, even though that their, their, their marriage had, had kind of dissolved a long time ago, uh, they still remained extremely close, and he still trusted her uh, with his career. And, uh, and, and that's, so there, there's no mystery there. That's what that was all about. And then after Ronnie passed, um, you know, she ended up, uh, you know, marrying uh, this man that she had been with for a long time. Like I said, it was not not something that happened overnight by any stretch. Okay. Um, so there's that end of it. As far as what goes on on the Twitter account, I mean, I know there's probably I know I know the guy who runs that. I don't know what went on what what got put out on that, but um, I know the guy that runs it, and and a good portion of it is just marketing sort of stuff, from what I understand. Um, and finally, as far as the products that have come out. Uh, there's been a uh, there's been I, I will admit that there's probably been a, a few too many things uh, at times, but before those things are criticized, you have to really look at a little bit about what's behind them, and a good portion of them, not all, but a good portion of them do go towards the fund that was set up for Ronnie's uh, you know for Ronnie's cancer fund, and a lot of it is. Uh, you know, a lot of very good intentions behind it. So you have to look a little bit more closely to, to really evaluate all that stuff. And I will say there's maybe been a few things too many and maybe some things we didn't need that have come out. But when he passed away, uh, you know, I can tell you, having known Ronnie and having been there the whole time, I mean, he was completely uh, comfortable and wanting her to 
you know, managed his whole estate, and uh, he he loved her and trusted her, and her her mission, if so to speak, I think after he passed was to do everything and anything to keep his memory alive, keep his music alive, and also uh, work with this fund uh, to help raise money. And what they do is really pretty amazing because what the Deal Cancer Fund is about, having helped support it and hosted some of the fundraisers, it, 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 it helps people who can't afford to get screenings. And one of the big things that came out of Ronnie's cancer, and his doctor told me this himself, was that if he would have gotten checked and gotten screened, he would still be alive. He was a right. guy that just didn't go to doctors and wouldn't, oh, that'll pass, that'll pass. So as a result, that's why we lost him. So the biggest initiative of this fund is to uh, help people and get them screenings who can't afford to, to get them. And it's really, you know, there's other components to it, too, but it's a really, really great thing that they're trying to do with that. And her charitable work with that extends beyond uh, Ronnie's fund. She's actually uh, doing a bowling tournament uh, in L.A. next week, and that's for T.J. Martell, which is also a, a cancer fund, and uh, she's helping that one out, too. So. She she really works very hard at this stuff, and 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 it's it's there's a lot of different tiers to it, and you know I've seen some of the criticism, and I understand where people where people come from on it. And again, I'd be lying if I said there weren't a couple things that have come out that said, well, we really didn't need this. Yeah. But at the same token, if it's if it's done from the right place, I, I don't have a problem with it. And like anything, no one's got a gun to your head to buy it. But I would I would certainly say the things that are definitely earmarked for the, the, the cancer fund, like the official tribute and all that, which 100% of went to the cancer fund. I mean, I think those are all great projects. Absolutely. Okay, cool. Well, thanks for clarifying that. And I, uh, we've been talking a little while already here. So let's quickly, uh, one more topic, and then I'll let you go. I wanted to ask you about Jimmy Page. Just the other day, he announced that he will finally, this is a guy in his 70s now, will work with a new band and work on new material. Uh, what, why has it taken him this long to do something? I think because he was hoping that he'd be able to do Zeppelin. I mean, I, I think that a lot of it has been hoping that plant would come around. Um, that's all I can take from it, and I think that everybody realizes that's just not going to happen. You know, if you remember last year, plant put out a... a a tweet or a post or something when somebody asked him about Zeppelin and he said, well, I have no plans for 2014 or something like that. And everybody got all excited. I do remember that. that was, yeah. You know, Plant making a, an overture to say maybe he'd be ready then. But it's just not going to happen. Robert Plant just doesn't want to do it. He doesn't want to be that guy anymore. He doesn't, he's just in a totally different place. So I think two things happened. I think Page kind of still was holding out hope. And the other thing, I went to the release event for the first three remasters a couple months ago and plant uh, i'm sorry jimmy page was there and spoke and they did a q a and he said that uh he has dedicated the last couple years to these this this remaster uh campaign and there are tons of things that went on with him going through the archives and the tapes and going through the tracks and bonus tracks and what have you. So he literally said during that press conference that he was, 
in studios and in the vault, so to speak, immersed in that campaign. And he did all of the albums at the same time, even though they're coming out six months apart in groups of three, they're all done. So that took up a couple years of his life. So I think between those two things, I think that's what ate up his schedule. And then with these remasters coming out, with him doing press for it, uh, I think that it probably got him thinking, okay, well, I just want to play guitar and i got to put something together. Right on. right on. And real quickly, the last topic, I promise, Richie Scarlett rejoining Ace's band. You, of course, worked with, with Ace back in the day. Uh, any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's great. Uh, I always liked Richie. Um, when I signed Ace to his solo deal in 86, 87, um, I was kind of disappointed that he didn't, you know, Richie was in the band when we signed Ace at Megaforce, and I, I remember we were all kind of surprised and a little bit disappointed. Because he was initially, he, right? And then he left. And... Yeah, yeah, he was, and he had been doing the shows and, and all that. And when, when we signed him, and he kind of said that he was going to get a different band, we were all kind of a little bit disappointed because, you know, everybody liked Richie and what he had done with the band and his contributions and some of the songs he brought in and all that. So nobody really knew what that was about at the time except for Ace wanting a fresh start. And, you know, bringing in Todd and, and um, you know, was, was great, and Todd actually, you know, you know contributed greatly. But every, no one could kind of figure out what happened there. And then in the third with the third record, Trouble Walkin', Richie did come back in and came in with a couple great songs. And really, you know, Richie's got that New York sort of street rock and roll attitude that I think is a real, uh, a real compliment to what Ace does. And he's a great player. He's a great singer. And I, when Ace called me and asked me my thoughts about it, I said, you know, I think it'd be great. So, um, I think it's really cool that he brought him back in. And I, I, I don't know the new bass player he has, uh, I do know the drummer, Scott, and I think the cool thing about this band, of course nobody's heard it yet, but I think the cool thing about it is the fact that all four of these guys are capable of singing lead vocals. Right, yeah. And, and that's going to be a big plus as far as uh, live him literally being able to do anything from his catalog or from the KISS catalog. Um, so I think it should make for a great band. Eddie, thank you, and we will have your site eddytrunk.com link through today's show notes on talking metal eddie has books for sale he's got the radio shows he's got the tv show guys go support eddie trunk thanks eddie thanks for having me mark take care bye-bye One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.